S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 3, Episode 6, starring Buck Henry. Originally aired on November 19th, 1977. Welcome to SN Hell. This Saturday night in SN Hell, we are looking at this remarkable episode from uh, early season three. We have Buck Henry. We have musical guest Leon Redbone. With me as always, my good buddy Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello, Keith. Good to be back. Yes, my friend. And uh, with us again for the first time since Eric Idle, Neil Innes at the end of season two, towards the end of season two, we have Adrian back. Welcome back, Adrian. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be back. Delighted to have you back again. I, I want to jump right in. It's been a little while since Matt and I have been able to record. Uh, we've we've had a couple episodes come out during that hiatus, but uh, in the meantime, there have been a few few deaths related to the show that uh, need to be mentioned. First off, uh, Eugene Lee, longtime set designer. He's designing the sets back in 77, and he did it right up until his death. Um, sadly, Eugene passed away at 83 in February of 2023. So it's sad to see uh, this OG SNLer leave us. We also lost uh, Raquel Welch, who hosted uh, back in season one. And um, though never really a cast member since we've recorded last, uh, Barbara Walters, who is a, you know, uh, impersonated from day one right up till today, uh, also passed away since we've last recorded. So uh, they say it comes in threes. And I guess for Saturday Night Live, it certainly does, huh? That's our first in memoriam section. It is. It is. And I mean, Eugene Lee, I mean, the sets are so iconic. You know, sometimes the set tells you what sketch is going to be, you know, like we, we still know Wayne's basement, you know? Yeah. The, uh, what an incredible career. And you're right. Just uh, iconic work. Also a Broadway guy. There's at least one Tony in there for uh, uh, set design. I didn't like Raquel Welch's episode. No, it wasn't. It wasn't great. So let's just jump right into the show. Adrian, again, glad you're back. Uh, Matt, I, I don't know about you. I'm sure it's it's not that much different. But when I saw Buck Henry and Leon Redbone on the marquee, I was extremely excited. Yep, I was uh, sold too. We said in, uh, in our private conversation before the show that I was excited to come back to a buck. Back with a buck, back with a bang. This episode is Buck Henry's fifth. He is the first official member of the Five Timers Club, but it really doesn't matter at all until many years later when Tom Hanks is the first one to... Uh, inaugurate a uh, five-timers club buck henry deserving buck henry worthy yeah for sure he's uh he's practically a cast member he's the first guy that really made me think like ah, oh, you're just kind of like a cast member uh he's and he just does it so consistently he fits in so well with everyone and his style is just great the chemistry is terrific i find that they don't really give him enough uh props for lack of a better way to put it for being the first uh, person to do this uh, on a modern level, I never hear. You know, you always hear about Tom Hanks and Alec Baldwin, but nobody ever mentions Buck Henry's name. I find in the more modern Five Timers tribute kind of jokes. Yeah, I think because his five came so early that he uh, he doesn't get his due. Hashtag respect for Buck Henry. We have the cold open. We have a, a title card, and we're going to see more of these over the next little while. And it says the Waltons eat their young won't be airing tonight in order to pr- bring uh, SNL. I got a good laugh out of that one, and uh, if I recall, these are pretty funny going throughout. So we have Garrett and Gilda sitting back at the lockers, and they're talking about the five finalists of the Anyone Can Host contest. There have been 150,000 entries, and they've narrowed it down to five. Gilda promotes them as a good cross-section of America, but Garrett points out that none of them are black. Neil Levy brings in the five finalists. They're wearing sort of matching, I guess, pledge sweaters. Um, And they all have letters, A through E. The five finalists are an unemployed guy, a mother of three, uh, Vassar Coed, governor of South Dakota, and an elderly lady. Buck comes in, meets them all, and tells them to follow him. They didn't get a script tonight because they only have one line. Buck wants to hear the line, and they give the live from New York at Saturday night. I liked this. It was funny. It got the folks out. Garrett's objections and annoyance is extremely valid. It's five white people. So far, I thought that the episode has started great. Do these five finalists actually get to host the the 
Christmas thing that they're talking about? Only one of them does. Yeah. The, yeah. The, like yeah. they actually do vote. Yep. Awesome. Is that guy really the governor? Yeah, he really was. Yeah. It's weird. Richard, Richard Knipe or Knipe. Knipe, I think. Interesting and funny. Uh, I mean, I, I hope he doesn't win. Don't don't tell me, but I hope he doesn't win. You know how I feel about those people and the and uh, when they when they host. <laughs> I, I just find politicians. Especially bad. Yeah, Garrett, Garrett uh, as you guys mentioned, right on the money. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a bunch of white bread folk. I usually hate seeing the host uh, in the cold open, but it was, you know, it was logical here for the narrative. And yeah, it seemed pretty cool and fun to me. Dig it. Am I am I correct in assuming, Adrian and Matt, that you guys don't know who wins the contest? No, I don't. Do not know, no. Excellent. So we go to the intro. It's the uh, nighttime walking in front of the, uh, I say scoreboard, but it's actually billboard um, in, in Times Square. I like it. Adrian, it's the first time you've seen this one, I think. What do you think of the uh, the intro? I made a little note in my book here that I love the fancy opening lights. It looks, I don't know, it's, just, it's very American, but it just seems to suit it and it seems jazzier. Yeah. Flashier. I really like the new opening. So we are now at the monologue, and Buck Henry, he comes down with the five finalists following him, and they line up at home base. So Buck says there was going to be no monologue, and we get to meet these uh, these finalists and, and learn a little bit about them. So letter A, the first one, Governor Richard Knipe. Knipe has a lot of reasons why he'd be a good candidate. He has nine, actually. Eight of them are his sons, and then one seems to be something like the, the goodwill of the people. I didn't quite understand his numbering. B is Connie Crawford, a freshman at Vassar. She wants to host because she's been a groupie of the show for two years, and she says everything about her is a special talent. C is David Lewis, who is a dropout, unemployed kid from, well, not kid, unemployed young man from Oregon. He gets a lot of support. He tells a story about being employed by a turkey farmer as an interior decorator, and the turkey farmer sounds like a turkey. Um, This was a strange bit, and Buck was not particularly blown away by this guy. Deb Blair is a mother from Peoria. She's doing it because her kids only listen to people on TV, and they might listen to her if she is on TV. And then finally, we have Miskel Spillman. She is in her 80s. She watches the show every night, and she wants to inspire old people to watch the show and gets the same thrill she gets every Saturday night. This was okay, there was a lot of awkwardness. I, I thought Spillman was great. I thought Deb Blair was actually pretty funny. I think David Lewis, the dropout, uh, had full support when he first started talking and may have lost the crowd pretty damn quickly with that stupid turkey joke. Yeah, it seemed paperwork almost to get the information for the voting and all that out of the way. But all things considered, I think that the five of them did fine for being just randoms for the most part. I like the old lady the best. Buck's pretty uncomfortable with the mic. He needed a little more practice with that. He kept moving it around too much. But I I mean, I did like the vibe. It's fun to see them out there. I'm really surprised that they just let them go out there and didn't write anything for them, that they're just clearly doing their own shit. That seems really ill-advised. I would have been against that if I was a (laughs) Yeah, very dangerous. We now come to an iconic piece, and I know it's a special piece for you, Adrian. It's Little Chocolate Donuts. This was written by Franken and Davis. It's a parody of the old Wheaties ads that featured uh, a number of famous athletes on boxes endorsing the cereal. For the most part, this is really a takeoff of Jenner's 1976 decathlon win. It's narrated by Marv Albert, who appeared way back in episode two at the Paul Simon Connie Hawkins basketball game. So what this is, is the stocky John Belushi. He's a uh, Olympian succeeding at the high jump and the sprint. So we then go to a smoking John Belushi standing next to uh, Little Chocolate Donuts. It's a new cereal that gives him all the sugar he needs in the morning. And Little Chocolate Donuts is the donuts of champions. Um, this is iconic. I, 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 I love this sketch. It's so funny to me. Um, I get a big kick out of it for a number of reasons. I thought Belushi was seemed to be all in, even though I'll, I'll give some information that shows he was quite not. Yeah, it's it's perfect because it's so wrong, but so much like the Wheaties ads and just him being a decathlete. Great. The smoke hanging out of his hand while he's also holding the donut. It's, it's beautiful. And yes, it has a very special place in my heart because it was my dad's favorite sketch ever. 
that was ever on SNL. And it aired on my mom's birthday, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's it's just beautiful. It makes me want to dance. This is a repeat, Keith. Have we seen this? No, this is the first time it's aired on the show. We've definitely seen it in compilations and stuff. I'm just yeah. checking because I know I uh, I knew I knew it, and we've been watching. We watch so many of these that they all the, the lines begin to blur. Uh, but yeah, it's good shit. Uh, I, I I recognized it right away. I knew what it was, and I loved it. Those donuts look really good. Those little yeah. chocolate donuts. Which they look amazing. I want like six donuts for breakfast. They look so chocolatey. Maybe a smoke. It's fine. That's just a little background. Belushi did not like doing this, and he was rather difficult that day. It's a combination of uh, he didn't like using his body for cheap laughs in that sense, but it's also been suggested that he hated having to drive all the way to upstate New York in the morning and used every excuse in the po- in the book to possibly get out of doing it. However, other reports say he really enjoyed. Like he saw the humor in it, knew it was going to work. There's little bits about him faking an injury on set and all that sort of stuff. But based on what we see on the screen, it looked like he was, you know, all in. Yeah, I thought he was great. He uh, it was, and you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not his biggest booster. I'm not in the fan club per se. Just, just an earnestness that's really appreciated when he's having those donuts. He's playing it straight, which he rarely does. Yeah, maybe that's why I like it so much. The sweater he wears, it's his own sweater, but it's on backwards because there was a huge moth hole in the front. So, <laughs> <laughs> I actually think the moth hole might have made it a little better. So we have a Chiron. There's an older lady in the audience who is one jump behind us. We now go to Samurai Psychiatrist. Buck is on the couch saying he needs a few more visits before he feels like a new man. Camera pans out, and uh, it's the Samurai. He is the psychiatrist, therefore Buck is Mr. Dantley. Dantley is obsessed with his mother, and he gets into bits about uh, Oedipus Complex and Castration Complex. Dantley says he doesn't know how to cut the umbilical cord. Samurai, of course, demonstrates with the sword. Samurai is a strict Freudian. And Dantley is worried that all his psychiatrist thinks about is sex. And they show a photo of Freud uh, with cocaine, which was kind of funny. They do a free word association, which is Samurai's gibberish and Dantley responding with English words. Buck then figures out that all his issues are with his father and not his mother. He calls the Samurai a quack for wasting years of his life. Samurai is disappointed and goes to commit uh, Harry Curry. And uh, Dantley doesn't stop him. The Samurai does it and sells. And Dantley asks if he has any last words. Samurai gibberish is what Dantley says is Lowe's bud. Okay, this is a samurai bit. I No different than the other ones. As far as physically, it was probably less involved, uh, probably worse than most of the samurai ones. I did get a couple chuckles out of it here and there. I don't know. I have a weird feeling about the samurai sketches in general. I, there's certain things I, I'll never get over with it. But again, Buck and Belushi are the ones to do it, even though this is one of the weaker sketches for me. I agree there. I, I get real uncomfortable with with his with his gibberish. I just kind of kept trying to get myself over it by going back to Deadwood and being like, Hong Dai, woo. But I did get a good giggle about Lowe's Bud. I, I, I hated this. This was just awful. I didn't laugh once. I thought it was stupid. This character is stupid. It's racist and dumb. And it had none of the charm that they once had. Like, I think I've liked one of them with uh, Buck Henry in it. But uh, this mm. ain't it. This is rotten hated it boo you know you don't have to tell me because i you know i i like the show to reveal itself to me as we go but uh it'd it'd really be nice if they were serious and this was the last time we had to sit through this (laughs) it's not unfortunate (laughs) next up is uh you're talking controversy let's go to stunt baby bill murray plays the director buck and jane play two actors named howard and gwen and they're on a film set jane is holding a baby So the scene is set by Murray, where Buck is a psychopathic father who takes out his frustrations on his family. And the scene plays out where Jane and Buck get into an argument, which uh, sets the baby off. The baby starts crying. Buck is annoyed by the baby and starts yelling at it. Um, He lifts the baby up to throw it. Murray cuts and calls in the stunt baby. So the stunt baby (laughs) is brought in. Uh, Murray gives its, its directions. The scene resumes with Buck throwing the baby into the TV beating it up, running its head against the crib rails, and then throwing it out the window. Murray then goes and checks on the baby to make sure it's okay. I should mention the voice of the baby, of course, Lorraine Newman. 
So, uh, Stunt Baby, this is, uh, up to that point, according to Buck Henry, the most controversial sketch they've done. There were more letters and uh, angry complaints about this than anything else. That being said, I thought this was hilarious. This is not a joke about child abuse as much as it is one of a preposterous notion of a stunt baby and how everyone is reacting to the reality that a stunt baby exists. The odd thing about this one is I actually remember it being a lot funnier the last time I saw it than uh, this time around. (laughs) Yeah, Buck in his perverse weirdness and Lorraine's vocalizations of the baby are absolutely awesome. Might be a hot take these days. I don't know. And uh, I'm not sure I care. I I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I also thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, (laughs) I felt a bit guilty about it, but I, the stunt baby and the way the stunt baby responded to Bill Murray, it just cracked me up. It's perfect (laughs) to me. It shouldn't be, and it is, and that makes it better. Uh, I, I certainly did. I did not thoroughly enjoy this sketch. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be out here writing letters about it. People are so stupid. The, fuck <laughs> the, the fact that you can write letters about this shit, which I found eye-rollingly stupid, and not about the fact that all of your you anyone can host contestants are white. You have a racist ass Japanese character played by a chubby white dude in a previous sketch. And you're upset that they are bouncing around a clearly fake prop. Fuck out of here. Yeah. So stupid. Yeah. I thought Bill Murray was fun. I really liked him as like the sleazy director. And you had the baby like kind of responding like, yeah, ready <laughs> with the cute little voice. Uh, that made me laugh. I just found the whole thing with Buck just goes on for too long. And I didn't think there was any shock value. I was just like, okay, uh, there was a, a couple of highlights. But I mean, this isn't like front of the show material. Push this back. I, I got to tell you, I laughed a little too hard at the baby's head against the crib rails. Right? That was the part that got me. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Did you notice what it was called on the on the, the card? On the, yes. The clicker? No. The infant molesters. The oh, my infant God. molesters. <laughs> I did not. That was the laugh of the sketch for me. Oh, only Buck. Only Buck. I'm a bad mother. <laughs> All right, now we go to AMOA Sanitized, I think American Motel Owners Association, perhaps. Dan Aykroyd runs an ad where he's promoting a cleaner for uh, motels. There are rooms, toilets, sinks, and drinking glasses. A large sanitation truck goes to one of the hotels. We see clips of, or sorry, not clips, we see still images of this. And they use a high-end blowtorch for heating everything to 1,500 degrees and a high-pressure washer to sanitize the uh, amenities at uh, cheap motels across the country. It didn't knock it out of the park for me. Ackroyd was really, really good uh, at this. The images were were either uber-realistic or, or kind of funny. The material overall was so-so, um, but I do remember like going to motels that had the you know the toilet seat wrapped and the the glasses and bags. And I think based on what I was able to read, a lot of that sort of sanitization stuff of motel room stuff uh, was, was, was on the rise at this point, maybe a little better if you're in the time, but uh, I got a chuckle out of this. Nothing great though. I didn't really get a chuckle out of it. I wrote my, my note that I wrote here is that it's a very pleasing film and just, it reminded me of something you'd see on Sesame street or something, almost like a, how it's made. Yeah, I just just enjoyed it, but not for humor value. I'm with Adrian. Uh, Good production value. And it was like a a neat, weird little short film, but it wasn't funny. And, uh, you know, Aykroyd's just good in this role. It was almost all, it was like slightly too real. And uh, yeah, you know, the gag. Yeah, of course, they're not fucking blow torching glasses and shit. I get it. (laughs) I don't know. Like they didn't, they didn't really hit the jokes very hard. It almost just went by as a semi-realistic short film. And uh, I was interested in it in that regard. Uh, But I didn't find it funny. Adrian, you mentioned the, the, um, you mentioned the Sesame street thing. It's funny. It took me right back to this type of movie they used to have on Sesame. Street, like somebody recycling paper or old bottles or something. Or like making crayons and stuff like that. I just wanted to watch more of what they were doing. Yeah, 70s How It's Made, I guess. Yeah, I love that stuff. Woman making her final television appearance on a Chiron. We now go to Leon Redbone. This is his third time on the show. This time around, he's singing Champagne Charlie, an 1860s music hall hit. This will later be released on the album of the same name, Champagne Charlie. 
In this one, he's accompanied by a tuba, a banjo, a trumpet, and a clarinet. Champagne Charlie is not one of my favorites, but my goodness, I could sit there and watch Leon Redbone under that, you know, that spotlight on home base for hours and hours and hours. So, uh, thumbs up for me on this one. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with the song or honestly, Leon Redbone either. He reminds me of a Muppet, specifically one of the electric teeth guys. Um, probably probably Zoot. The, uh, yeah, Dr. he looks Punk. like Zoot. Um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. It was it was just chill. No, this is not for me at all. He is, uh, I've seen Leon Redbone performances that I've enjoyed. I do not like this song. I find the accompanying instruments incredibly hokey. The target market here, again... Uh, and I always rev- I revisit this often when we talk about the music. You've got a late night, Saturday night show. Can you at least try? This is the, the very picture of cool to me, but I, I mean, I know what you're saying. 1977, though, like what's cool in 1977? Yeah. Like Blondie are out. I don't know. I really didn't like that accompanying band. I understand what yeah. you mean. The thing, you know, the guy with the voice and the guitar and the glasses. And there's like a, there's a, uh, there's a innate coolness to it. And I don't know if I'm a young up and comer in 1977 getting stoned and watching my favorite live late night show. Maybe I'm not into this. I mean, if I was getting stoned, I certainly wouldn't mind hanging out and listening to Leon Redbone. You got to put yourself in 1977, though, when when this is just not what's going on. We can argue the subjectivity of music until the cows come home. I I really think this is uh, old man rock that you don't want on late night television when your demo is a young audience that are buying Blondie records. Understood. Let's go to Weekend Update. So it is Dan and Jane again. It will be for a while. Uh, Just a few bits on this one. Uh, Lillian Carter, a picture of Lillian Carter with her hair sticking up. They say she was electrocuted. There's a bit on genetics featuring uh, some of Tom Schiller's drawings of a genetic messenger. It's a literal bike messenger that sends uh, messages from the sperm to the egg to say if the baby's going to be a boy or a girl. This is followed by Dan and Jane smoking some cigars. Jimmy Hoffa's family thinks that he is R2-D2. A little bit about Evil Knievel planning to jump bail after he was arrested. We then have Lorraine at the locker with the five finalists of the shows. The governor says he wants to give a speech. Connie says she's yet to show her talents. Dave talks about what he's going to do with his $3,000. Deb is cut off from sending a message to her kids. Uh, and Miskel Spillman confirms she's old and feels tired. There's a whole bunch of jokes about Anwar Sadat's visit to Israel. Um, and Gilda appears as Baba Wawa via satellite to talk about uh, that. But there's about four or five jokes spread throughout about uh, Sadat's visit to Israel. Overall, this was a very weak weekend update. I laughed only, I think, at Lillian Carter being electrocuted. Other than that, uh, this was flat as heck for me. Yep, agreed. It was a pretty tragic weekend update. The only giggle I got was about High Holiday Inn. And that was just a stupid giggle. So annoying. Uh, weekend update last season when it was just Jane highlight of the show. She was doing this serious, but like bizarre news character. Like now she's just boring. Her hair is also all uh, Lorraine's hair too. The hair is getting out of control here. And I guess sign of the times, the times they are a changing, but everybody's got big hair now. Disco hair, I guess, right? 77. It's the time to be alive. Disco is killing it. Hot New York. Anyway, uh, my point is is uh, that this is just really bad. I hate their stupid WU buttons uh, that they wear. Like, I don't know. I'm watching Weekend Update. Get out of here. <laughs> I like and, them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, I, I didn't like any of the jokes. Jane is just lifeless now. Uh, Aykroyd looks like he'd rather be anywhere else but doing this. And yeah, it's just such a disappointment that it used to be so good and now it sucks we now go to reunion in kiev this is set in 1918 gilda is returning home to visit her sister for the first time since the russian revolution she flashes back to yesterday and we get the uh the the chimes and the 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 wiggly transition and her yesterday is little literally yesterday when she was sitting still on the train. She orders some wine from Buck, who plays a waiter, who remembers his yesterday when he first met and became smitten with Gilda's character. Buck offers her some wine, and she, she, she says she'll be ordering the wine tomorrow. Buck looks forward to tomorrow when he can deliver the wine. 
Buck and John turn out to be singing Brothers Karamazov. Um, and there's a lot of jumping back and forth to tomorrow and yesterday. And we get into some confusion about when the wine was ordered. Gilda will say, I ordered that wine yesterday and only in our, didn't drink it or you forgot to deliver it. This is all over the place. This, to me, was frigging hilarious. I laughed through this whole thing. This is like some of that like bald soprano style theater of the, the absurd I got a real kick out of this. I thought Buck and uh, Gilda and then John as well. Um, you know, Lorraine was there as well, but Buck, Gilda, and John all did great on this. The playing with the flash forwards and flashbacks really cracked me up. And it was just the right amount of time for me. I am also a sucker for the old timey flashback gags. The last episode I did with you guys had Eric Idle and them going back to fighter pilots and all that jazz. Yes, yes the Battle of Britain. Yeah. And this one, same deal. I think, Keith, we got the same sense of humor because I was weak when they started doing the wire. Like, no, that's ordered yesterday, but it's from tomorrow. I was like, oh, it's perfect. It's okay. I, st- I, I still like doing the show with you, Adrian, but I, I did think this was not for me. I hated it. In fact, <laughs> I think I was like, you got, you're got you doing like this cool little short film thing. And there's, there's jokes are just so stupid. Like I, I, like, I don't even, I didn't, maybe I just don't get it. But just <laughs> going back and forth with this tomorrow. No, that was yesterday. <laughs> and like, it's some sort of episode of Time Cop. And it's, oh my God, I just, there was nothing there for me. Uh, I needed more. And I, I, don't get me wrong. I think I can understand why, why people would uh, maybe appreciate it. I don't know. It was a little too silly for me, maybe. And and yes, Adrian, we do have very similar sense of humor. But I apologize because I knew as I was watching it, that Matt was going to hate it. This is the same as that Battle of Britain match. Like, Adrian and I were all about it. You had a couple of chuckles, but you weren't fond of it. Next sketch is the Ricky Rat Club. We are joined by, or we join Mr. Mike. He intros the segment by referring to previous episodes, his uh, previous appearances. He throws it to the Ricky Rat Club, and this is a parody of the old Mickey Mouse Club, where uh, the whole cast and Buck are playing the Ratketeers. And uh, it's about Ricky Rat, not Mickey Mouse. Most of the characters are are named after famous rats or gross things or Gilda as the busty Annette Funicello. Buck says it's anything bad can happen day. And the kids are all like a bunch of inner city street kids dressed up like rats. They're said to be from Harlem, actually. They bring out Ricky in a rat cage, but it's not Ricky. It's uh, his brother, Dickie, and is currently helping science by testing cyclomates. They won't know until Monday if the original Ricky will be coming back. Buck tries to get the Ratketeers to do some dangerous things. They won't, so they sing the goodbye song. And then they launch the rat up in the air, where Lorraine actually looks like she tumbles off the stage a little bit. My goodness, I was really disappointed in this. Um, It's Mike O'Donohue. It's a parody of the Mickey Mouse Club. And honestly, this tanked. To me, this felt like they were trying to be shocking and it just wasn't working. Maybe they were trying to be gross and it wasn't working. I don't know. There's just so much you could do in a parody of the Mickey Mouse Club that uh, this just didn't work for me. This is bad Mike O'Donohue for me. Yeah, the only things that worked for me were that they had Annette being the only one who was chesty. Um and when they threw the rat up in the air, the audience members that the fake rat landed on seemed genuinely terrified. Yeah, it was just a complete waste of time. It was way too long. It was annoying as sin. And yeah, I, you know, when I, I see Mr. Mike first, I, I, my favorite part of it was him recapping people shoving needles into their eyes. And otherwise, I was just annoyed and not interested and mm-hmm. exercising all of my patience because this is a public service. <laughs> we now go to the Franken and Davis show. And of course, this is written by Al Franken, Tom Davis. Uh, they now have a really neat little animated intro there. And uh, Franken and Davis both get a really good reaction. They say that young viewers know about their involvement with Saturday night, but don't know about their distinguished careers. So they bring out pictures of their early careers. Uh, they show their debut on the Ed Sullivan show. And then some clips from the Lockheed Comedy Hour, Frank and Davis Mania, cover of Life magazine, and a uh, Norman Lear sketch they did called uh, I'm Frankenbaum and He's O'Davis. 
and some stuff about uh, their their breakup on the National Enquirer, where Al went on to uh, organize a concert from Bangladesh, and he still has not paid children. And Tom Davis planned an annual golf tournament. They were brought back together by Jackie O. Gilda comes out as Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. They say they were fans of her husband, and she said, yes, everyone remembers where they were when Aristotle Onassis died. They flash back to a year before where they're at a dinner party, and Tom almost chokes on a chicken, but Jackie saves him with the Heimlich. I really, I kind of like the first half of this, uh, but I was not big on the second part. I, I, I don't get if there was a joke in there beyond, like, Tom Davis making funny faces and stuff while he was choking. Yeah, I just kind of felt like I wasn't getting it. Uh, Keith, I'm very much on the same page as you on this. Uh, I really dug the first half. Uh, I thought it was... Uh, exactly what the episode was needing. And then the shit just kept going. They needed an editor here. Our next bit is a Gary Weiss film. Buck Henry introduces the film. Uh, He says that uh, each of the contestants came to visit Buck in his hotel room, and Gary Weiss had hid a camera there. Um, So we're going to see these quote-unquote natural reactions from the contestants. So it starts with Connie, and she hits on Buck to the point that uh, they actually... uh, lean out of frame as they're as she's putting the moves on him dave was thinking about how good his life is in the oregon woods and he talks about picking up squirrels and chipmunks and feeding them and then squeezing them until their eyes pop out deb says she's divorced and she can't afford christmas for her children if she doesn't win richard offers buck the position of the secretary of mining and bribes buck with a ring and miskel says she's probably going to die around new year's I thought this was one of the better bits of the night. I loved this. Uh, More of this with the contestants might have been a bit better, I think. A lot better, actually. Um, All were good in their own ways. Buck was fantastic, and uh, they gave a nice distinction between each contestants. They certainly gave them something memorable to do. And my other note is I'm surprised that uh, Mike O'Donohue didn't hire Dave right away after he talked about killing squirrels and having their eyes pop out. Yeah, it was definitely a place for the contestants to kind of showcase themselves a bit better. I liked how they were all awkward in different ways, and I liked how Buck Henry reacted to all of them. So overall, I mean, I didn't have any real beef with this bit. Me either. The stuff with these, uh, the stuff with these prospective hosts is uh, that's been my favorite stuff all night. And there's certainly, I don't know, there's something at least more dynamic to it than the hideous scripted comedy we've received this evening. And uh, and, and that's of course, in my personal opinion, uh, we haven't always agreed. But yeah, these are fun. I like this vibe. It's kinetic. It's, uh, I dig it. There's an energy to them. We now have a Chiron. This woman brushes her teeth diagonally. Leon Redbone, please don't talk about me when I'm gone. 1930 standards. A lot of people have recorded this song. This is my favorite. I love this song, and this is my favorite version of it. Um, I can't say anymore. This is fantastic. If you're listening, play this one at my funeral. This is quintessential Leon Redbone. Yeah, I like the second set more. Uh, again, he's so chill and washboard guy was like my favorite part of this. Yeah. I still, this is just not my kind of music and I, my, you know, I needn't repeat my frustrations with the booking. Who booked this? Keith did. Yeah. It would have been me. <laughs> <laughs> be glad I'm not there. Cause it'd be like Leon Redbone every night. So <laughs> We now go to our second Schiller's Reel we've seen, the last one, of course, being the Acid Generation. This one is called Life After Death, and it's interviews with people who have returned from the uh, other side, and they talk about their experience. The bulk of this is carried by the first man who talks about dying and floating out of his body and feeling so great, and he goes to a a large white room. There's a whole bunch of people, and he uh, had to take a number in weight. And uh, they talk to a few more people who do shorter versions of that tale, and uh, they all wind up having to take a number in weight. Uh, this was good. This was short. It was funny. I got a kick out of it. Yeah, the length of it was perfect. It just gave you a taste of this weirdness in this documentary sense. And it kind of made me want a whole documentary about this subject and people who have had to take a number in the not quite afterlife, but returning from the dead. I, I just thought it was neat. I just think it's neat. I absolutely loved this short film. 
I thought it was so cool. Uh, this is exactly what I want to see on late night TV. It was interesting. Uh, the acting in it was cool. It was weird. It was fucking weird. And, mm-hmm. But it was funny and it was silly and it was absurd. And oh my God, I was pulled in. Absolutely. This is a smash for me. It's a smash. Yeah, I loved this. Yeah, like I can just picture that red machine from the X-ray department that you take the number from. Yeah, and like yeah. that. It, I'm yeah. It was just yeah. It was weird, but in a great way. Schiller's two for two with us on the show so far. Yeah, I really can't say. Uh, I I want to restate how much I really enjoyed this. And you know, this is the kind of thing that I find. Uh, Kids in the Hall were really good at doing like this weird, absurdist stuff sometimes. Uh, that just seemed like it's it's not out of place but it is there's there's an uncanniness to it that i can't put my finger on the humor is the repeating of taking a number like any one of these individual pieces on their own is not funny um you, you could almost believe that that was their experience but the fact that they all have slightly different experiences that all end with having to take a number and wait <laughs> Um, I think that's where it's at. And it's weird because I watched this one a few times trying to pick out because when I was first watching it, I thought the dude they were talking to was going to, you know, was actually someone who 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 had this experience and it was going to go a different direction. I don't remember ever seeing this before. I was really impressed with this. Me too. We now have a Chiron. It's a woman who boggles her own mind. And we now go to the good nights. So Buck shows a copy of the TV guide with the ballot to vote for your choice of winner. And he gives each contestant final words. Richard says he doesn't want people to vote for him. He's delighted to be there, but please don't vote for him. Connie says she's failing her classes. And she, uh, if, she, if she does host, she will get a pass in drama. Dave says he sees chastity as a virtue. I think Buck pretty much had his fill with Dave. Kind of pushes him back. Deb says says vote for her so people you can honor your mother by voting for a mother and Miskel says she's had a great time and it's my comments on this is uh, like what the fuck Richard like you don't want people to vote for you there's like 150,000 people that would have liked to have been picked you're the governor of South Dakota that's probably why you were put in the top five to begin with like don't do that man like I don't know. I was disappointed by that. Yeah, I don't know what planet Dave's on. The women all all did fine. That takes balls. Uh, good for them. Good for them for taking a chance on these people. And maybe, you know, letting them sink or swim. Uh, I'm sure it was by design on some level. So maybe that's kind of cool. Anyway, uh, I dug it. That old lady is uh, pretty sweet. <laughs> she's just there to have a good time i feel that that's my energy i'm just here to have a good time i'm gonna and you know what i'm having a great time Here, here's my question um of the five who would you have voted for it's between the old lady and the mom it was all old lady all the way for me and then at this very last part when the mom said in honor of your mom vote for d i giggled because i was thinking of the more modern interpretation and I was making a vote for the D um, <laughs> in honor of my mom. Um, I would have voted for the Vassar co-ed because I love her in-your-face energy and she's an absolute babe. It's now time for our wrap-up. The host. Buck is great, but they don't give him much material. He was absolutely the right guy, though, to work from the finalists who range from like being experienced to just plain all weird. As far as his appearances and sketches, he was solid. But we didn't get that knockout of the park piece of pure Buck Henryism. I might have supposed to have been stunt baby, um, but that did miss a mark somewhere. Buck definitely anchored this episode, anchored it well. And while it was probably his weakest episode overall, I think Buck was on point for uh, what he had to do. He was in everything. And while it was apparently his weakest of his hosting duties... He was still pretty solid. Yeah, he was fine. I, my favorite part uh, about Buck this evening was when he, he would get annoyed <laughs> talking, <laughs> <laughs> t- 
talking to the talking to the contestants when he would get annoyed. That that really cracked me up. And his impatience with the microphone. Uh, I also found it was there was a weird charm to it. The sketches. You know, for the most part, I wasn't with the sketches tonight. I thought a lot of the writing was shit. Uh, and I really only liked uh, a couple of pre-records as, as far as the laughs go. So it's hard. You know, you can't blame Buck. He was there. He did his best. It was like every time he took the microphone, they went to the wrong side of him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was it possibly on purpose? Because it was uncanny so the music for me all about leon redbone like i said champagne charlie not one of my favorites please don't talk about me when i'm gone is one of my actual favorite song songs there's very very few musical guests over the course of this show's run who i enjoy as much as i do leon redbone and uh, snl the way they the way they shoot him and the way they do the production of these numbers is absolutely perfect it was my first experience with leon redbone but i'm gonna have to check him out it's just not for me it's fine Mm-hmm. Um, and but I, and I mean, as I've mentioned, in addition to not being for me, uh, I think this is a strange repeated booking uh, for your show. Yeah, I wish it was a little edgier. This is not like edgy music. I like an edgy show. What's the uh, worst sketch of the night, guys? The Samurai or Weekend Update. But the samurai was more offensively bad. Yeah, I also, uh, those are my worst too. Uh, don't get me wrong, uh, unlike, unlike you guys, I thought that Kiev thing was fucking really annoying. Uh, weekend update was... Also, hey, I didn't mention this earlier, but I hated that Lorraine didn't do her reporter character when she's mm. out there being a reporter and dropped it and was just like didn't do anything just, anyway uh, except you know she stood there and had big studio 54 hair we get it you want to go to the club later it was sexy disco hair sexy disco hair it was so much spray and frizz anyway I uh, Adrian's right samurai was just worse in a different way it's dank it's my pick also I uh, I don't know if I've just become like immune to the samurai or what, but I went with uh, Ricky Rat, um, by a whisker. <laughs> the issue here is that oh, so much could be <laughs> the issue here. So much could be done with a parody of the Mickey Mouse Club. Mike's intro cast intros were good, but it fell off a cliff. Um, like I said, weird for the sake of weird, gross for the gro- gross for the uh, sake of gross. All right, let's go with the best of the night. I might have to pick Little Chocolate Donuts, but I also really liked Kiev. <laughs> Was that your official choice, Adrian, Kiev? My official choice is going to be Little Chocolate Donuts, but I'm just giving a little shout out there to Kiev. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I uh, My favorite of the night was Schiller's short film. Unsurprisingly, as I gushed of it earlier, I thought it was cool and weird and funny and exactly what I want to see on late night TV. Uh, there was there was a creepiness to it uh, on occasion, and it was existential and smart and funny. I, I think it just had so much going on for it. Understood. Yeah. No. No. That's uh, that's a good choice for me. I went with Little Chocolate Donuts. It is iconic for reason. Um, it's also uh, very prophetic because, you know, within 10 years, you'll have, you know, athletes endorsing sugary cereals that uh, that that will say they'll make you feel better, like pro stars and all this stuff. Um, reunion in Kiev, awfully funny, clever. I really enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed both of the films, both Schiller's and Weiss's. Um, but I did go with chocolate donuts for a number of reasons. Um on a different day, it could have been any of the other ones, especially the Schiller film. Who was your star of the night? Uh, I went with Buck Henry because he was in everything and no one else stood out. Uh, my favorite was Gilda Radner. And I mean, that's uh, but I mean, that's a pretty hurting choice, I, I want to say. Don't get me wrong. I appreciated her acting tonight and how she slipped into things. And uh, I just thought she was the best actress tonight, quite frankly. But she was like the best among extras. It's like, who was my favorite an extra from tonight maybe it should be buck henry oh god damn it <sighs> i know i have to choose you know we treat buck henry like a cast member we already had that conversation he's an early five timer i talked about how we don't give 
Buck Henry respect in the modern age for what he did for the show, uh, for what he did for the show, and uh, just his his legacy and you know with with the little five timers club gags not really uh, giving him any props. It's Buck Henry. Let's move on quickly. <laughs> um, it's all right, Matt. I went with Gilda. Um, ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So nobody had a standout night. You're absolutely right. The only two, you know, I like to keep it with the not readies. For me, the only two that had any chance at this tonight were Gilda and Belushi. But Gilda did more and did it better and did less bad. I mean, even her Baba Wawa was very short. So, yeah, I mean, it was really the strength of like the reunion in Kiev sketch, sketch the beginning. The Jackie O, which was a great impression, but the material didn't do it for me. Um, but yeah, this was Gilda's night. And, and, and quite frankly, looking back at the first six episodes of season three, this is her season two so far. So uh, yeah, Gilda all the way tonight for me. I changed my answer. I want um, <laughs> the official record to reflect Gilda for me as well. Going with Gilda? You, okay. you have sold me. You're absolutely right. Brilliant analysis as usual. I am swayed. Uh, <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Gilda, please mark it down. You did once give this award to Neil Sadaka. So, I mean, you are, you have free <laughs> if you want. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you know what? He deserved it that night. Yeah, yeah, he did. He sure did. <laughs> uh, Tonight, you're right. It's Gilda. It's I'm Gilda. with you. Yeah. Keep it. But I mean, Buck is, Buck was good too. It's, the, the, the holdout for me is that on, on Buck here is that he just didn't have, the material and uh, wasn't uh, wasn't as great as he usually is. There was something missing tonight, in, in my opinion. Okay, overall, I was really disappointed by this episode. When the Marquis says Buck Henry and Leon Redbone, I'm getting my double digits ready. Two of my all-time favorites. Expectations were high. I also knew that this was the five finalists making their pitches and, and would have liked to have seen them you know, thrown in a sketch or two. I mean, you had Tom Schiller doing a couple of extra bits. Could have possibly been one of the finalists. What we did wind up with were several segments of tell us about yourself and why should we vote for you, which were, you know, to mixed results. Uh, we know from the films anyway that Buck Henry works excellently with real people. We saw him buying toilet seats. We saw him trying to find out who was the funniest person in Irvington, New York. Um, I'm not sure why it does, didn't work here, whether it was the uh, live aspect or, or maybe nerves or whatever, but uh, it was a little less uh, contained and a little less enjoyable than what we've seen from him before. Uh, Matt touched on it. The cast was a little bit too scarce tonight for my likings. Um, and the sketches that were out there seemed to be either like really small pieces or something like Ricky rat where people were just lost in the shuffle and anyone could have been giving any line update was terrible. The music bumped up the quality for me as did some of the stronger points, the little chocolate donuts or whatever. But when I think of this episode, I'm thinking Ricky, the rat sketches, and I'm not immediately thinking of the good stuff, the Schiller and the, the Weiss and Kiev and the stuff I really did enjoy in this episode. All things considered, I mean, I hate to say it, but this was a bummer episode for me. Leon Redbone, Buck Henry, and I'm only giving it a five out of ten. I feel like I was being generous and I wanted to give it a six. There was just too much that was middling or bad um, that it couldn't compete numerically with the stuff that was good. There were, there were only a couple of standouts. So I gave it a six, so I was being nicer than you. <laughs> and you are nicer than me as a, as a human. So Well, occasionally. I guess uh, I need to think about this out loud for a second. I, ha uh, I enjoyed the stuff with the uh, anyone can host contestants. That was good. Uh, so the cold open and the monologue were fun for me. That samurai thing was shitty. We had the donuts. That was good. Uh, weekend update sucked. Yeah, the music didn't do it for me tonight like it did with you guys. I didn't like the Kiev thing. And that stupid Mouseketeer thing. You're right, Keith. And ugh, it was just a, it was a slog a lot. I didn't have fun watching it. It was the enjoyment was few and far between, but I really. So I, I have to think about what I really liked. The only thing that really stands out for me is that Schiller piece. And I liked the contestants, 
but I mean, it was just fine. I mean, I fucking host a local game show. Come check it out. I'm going to go ahead and give this a four. Give it a four. Higher than I expected, Matt. Um, With my five, Matt's four, Adrian's six, it averages out at a five. And the fine folks over at the Internet Movie Database, I have to clarify, someone pointed this out. There's not a staff at the IMDb. It's just users that log in. And uh, (laughs) I always say the fine folks at IMDb, and I did get a message last week saying, you know that there are no fine folks at the IMDb. (laughs) (laughs) I just like it's it's a... It's a tagline. The fine folks at the IMDb. <laughs> Jesus. There's um, one guy they, who actually is employed by IMDb and he's very offended right now. Yeah, there is a staff, but. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The fine folks over at the IMDb <laughs> gave this one a 7 out of 10. So Ooh. significantly higher than us. That's uh, outrageous. I think so. This one finishes 14th of the year. As of two months ago, it was the 306th best episode. It was a weird episode done weirdly, I think. Yeah, I can agree with that. Tough one to come back to, man. Yeah. Tough. Yeah. Starting starting us off with a real kick in the nuts with this. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, there are uh, brighter days ahead, I think. Um, and we will see who wins the contest, if you don't already know. There is another episode before that one, so we'll be back with that one first. But before we leave today, Adrian... Thank you so much for coming back. It's so wonderful to have somebody who has my sense of humor on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I apologize, Matt, for not having your sense of humor, apparently. But uh, this was a delight, even if it was a bit of a slog at times. The, the disagreement is an absolute pleasure. And <laughs> I, I really appreciate you being here as well. And I hope you're around more often. I hope so, too. I'm always willing to come back. And back you will be in uh, episode uh, 16 of season three. It'll be a few weeks out, of course. So next week, Matt, do you know who the host is and the musical guest? No, but it, they, he said it in the credits and I just forget. So you can sure. say it to me. The host is uh, Mary Kay Place uh, and the musical guest. You, you will have heard of the musical guest, I believe. It's a gentleman by the name of Willie Nelson. <laughs> I'll look forward to that. That could be cool. Not sure who's sitting in with us on that one yet. And then we'll be back the week after that with the winner of the Anyone Can Host contest. And we had our own little Anyone Can Host. So we're going to have a new third chair uh, sitting in that week. Ooh. I'm excited. We got, we got a lot of great stuff lined up. Good news for the thousands. Yeah. So everyone, thanks very much for listening. Please like and subscribe. And like I said, Matt and I will be back in about a week with Mary Kay Place and Willie Nelson. But until then, we'll be admiring the artistry of the late Eugene Lee here in SN Hell.